Dear sweet Jesus, thank You for this time together to worship You, to praise You. Lord, we ask right now that You give us wisdom and insight into Your Word. God, I pray that You would bless the families of Rock Point. I pray that You would use them as instruments to shine forth Your glory so that others might know of Your greatness and come to know You in a real and personal way. And this morning, Lord, we particularly pray for our children. Lord, I pray that You would bless them, but I pray, Lord, more than You would bless them, that You would grow them and conform them to Your image. Lord, we we pray that You would do that in spite of us, in spite of our frailties and our weaknesses and our inadequacies. And Lord, we confess to You that it is only by Your grace that families can bring You glory, that children can grow in the wisdom and the admonition of the Lord. And God, we ask You to do that through us, with us, and in spite of us so that You might receive the glory to which You are due. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. We're going to be speaking about parenting and talking about parenting this week and next week. And I want to remind you that uh, beginning next Sunday at this time right here at 9.30, uh, we'll have a class on parenting. The first one next week will be uh, for 0 to 5, children that are 0 to 5. And so if you are thinking about having children or you have children in that, that framework, I strongly encourage you uh, to go next week. The week after that, it will be for 6 to 11-year-olds. Uh, and then the final two weeks will be for 12 uh, to 18. So encourage you, if you're parents, to take it, uh, advantage of this great opportunity and, and go and participate. And that will be at 930 over in West Point. This morning, <clears throat> next week, we're going to really kind of get in uh, to some pretty specific biblical text and uh, to give a, uh, some pretty detailed direction. But this morning, I want to look at some two different passages of Scripture, one in particular. And as we've talked about before, when you look at Scripture... Uh, it can be qualified or quantified into two different areas. Uh, one is that of prescriptive Scripture. Uh, scriptures that say, Thus saith the Lord, and this is what we're to do. Uh, the Ten Commandments, were, of course, would be a great example of that. But a lot of Scripture is descriptive. In other words, it tells the story of what has occurred. And it doesn't mean that you're necessarily supposed to emulate it. Okay? So uh, when uh, David commits... Adultery, obviously, that is not a prescription. That is a description. That's a description of a bad choice. And then we see the consequences that occur thereafter. Now, when we look at Scripture this morning, I want us to look uh, at a couple of descriptive passages. And I, I do also want to remind you that I think it's important for you to know that, as I always say when we start a series like this, I am not a parenting expert nor am I the son of a parenting expert, okay? I am a fellow struggler, okay? So I'm reading these books and I'm studying this material and looking at Scripture just like you are in desperation, okay? So I just want you to know we're all here together. And and I want to communicate that to you so there's no judgment on my part. Matter of fact, I hope this morning that if you are feeling somewhat of a failure or like you've made mistakes and you're kind of carrying a burden of guilt, I hope you will feel a release from some of that today. I think it's important that we raise our children the best we can and to teach them the best that we can. But at the end of the day, we hand them over to God Almighty and His sovereignty 
and we ask for His grace. Uh, you and I both know of parents, and a matter of fact, I can give you several in Scripture, uh, who tried to do things right, <clears throat> but their children made some horrific choices. How about we start with the first man in the Bible, Adam. You know, I mean, Adam, if anybody was ever fairly pure, it was Adam, okay? He didn't sin till well into adulthood, okay? I mean, here's, here's Adam and Eve, and what does his son do? He has one son commit murder. And then we see Noah, a righteous man. And we see one of his sons making some bad choices and disrespecting his father. We see that happen with Isaac. We see it happen with Jacob. And don't even get me started with David and Solomon, although they made some bonehead mistakes themselves. Okay, so that you can do a lot of things right. And sometimes children will still make bad choices. So at the end of the day, this is what we know. We know that we are to be conformed to the image of God, to the image of Christ Jesus. And we want to do everything we can to create an environment so that our children might grow in the love and the admonition of the Lord and be conformed to His image. That's our ultimate goal, okay? But we can't make that happen. But we can do some things to really make the soil fertile. And at the end of the day, we trust our children to God Almighty. Now, with that understanding, uh, I want to give you a, a passage that Tommy read earlier that we all know, we've all heard a thousand times, and this is kind of the key text, and we're going to really dissect this next week. But it's Proverbs 22.6, it goes like this. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he'll not turn from it or depart from it, might be your translation. That is a principle of Scripture that's given to us. It's not necessarily a promise that if you do this just right, your kids will turn out perfect. That's not what the Scripture is saying. It's a principle that's given to us. And this is literally what it's saying. Teach a child what is right and what is wrong. Train them in what is righteous and unrighteous. And when they're old, they will remember it. They will remember what right and wrong is. They may make a choice to do something different. But they will know the truth. They will not turn from that base. They will not say, you know what, I'm going to come up with a whole different set of values. They may choose not to live by those values. They may say that they don't live by those values. But they will have known the truth and they will remember the truth. So when we think of it that way, when we can engage our children in teaching them what is right, what is truth, what is righteousness, right from wrong, then we will have started the process of what God desires for us. Now, let me just tell you, there are some myths that put parents in bondage all the time. And we've kind of assimilated them into our Christian culture, into our evangelical culture as biblical truths, and they're not. Okay? The first one is this. If you find parenting difficult, then you must not be doing it right. We would all be in trouble, wouldn't we? I mean, if, if there's not a time in your life where you thought being a parent is difficult, um, then you're a zombie, okay? That's just all there is to it. And the truth of it is that sometimes it's difficult. So just because it's hard doesn't mean that you're not doing it right. Number two, good parenting leads to happy children. That's right. If you're a good parent, your children ought to be happy. That's right. 
You know, actually, I just read a statistic today, or a story, a study that was done uh, a few years ago, and it took children who said that they had uh, incredibly, in their estimation, incredibly happy lives, and they gauged happiness, though, by things went the way that they wanted them to. And to a man, each of these, each one of those children said, I wish my parents would have given me more direction and more discipline instead of giving me the things that I always wanted. Matter of fact, there was a British study that said one-third of parents felt like being a good parent meant supplying your child with what they think they really want. And that is like the antithesis of the biblical message. So your children may not be happy. They may be mad because they don't have the latest and greatest toy and because they didn't get a car when everybody else did. And you know what? That doesn't mean you're a bad parent. It might mean you're a good parent. On the other side, if your parents, your children are really happy, it doesn't mean that you're a good parent either. You might just be a lazy one, okay? Having children will make you happy. Well, there'll be moments. There'll be days, times, holidays. There's some good times. But that doesn't mean you just always walk around with a big smile. I'm so glad. I wish we'd had a dozen more. Uh, that doesn't mean that's going to happen, okay? That's a, that's a myth. Number four. And this is the one you really need to hear, because I've heard this before, and you've heard this before. Parenting is your highest calling. Being a parent, that's your highest calling in life. Well, not biblically, it's not. You know what your highest calling is? It's found in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 9. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And when you love God and you're conformed to the image of of Christ. That is your highest calling. And it's the greatest gift you can give your child. Don't get me wrong, parenting's important and it's a high calling, but it's not your highest. So don't ever think your role as a parent is higher than your love and the glorification of God. That your role as a parent. Because if you do that, you know what you become? You begin the process of worshiping the position or worshiping the child. And that's not healthy for them. That's not the image we want to portray. And I think you understand what I'm saying. Um, how about this one? You will always feel unconditional love for your child. And I emphasize the word feel, okay? I think we always love our children unconditionally. But you always feel like it. I mean, aren't you like me? Don't you sometimes just get so mad? And you say things you wish you hadn't said. And you do things. And you punish. And you punish before you got all the facts. And you feel like a loser. And you think, oh, I'm not a good parent. And all these kind of things. You know what? It's okay. You're going to mess up. And just tell your kid you're sorry. Say, I'm a loser, you know, if you have to. Whatever it is to make you feel better. But recognize this. Just because you didn't respond appropriately, or sometimes you feel like, I don't even know if I like my teenager right now. I feel so bad. It's okay. It's all right. Okay. You, keep, you still love them and don't tell them. Uh, but it's okay that you feel that way sometimes, okay? You just confess that and let's move on. And let's just be honest with each other, okay? And quit trying to put on the pearly, pearly gate image here. Number six. Successful parents will always produce godly children. You do everything right, and your children will be godly. Stamp, I guarantee it. Again, I don't know what you do with the characters in the Bible. I don't know what you do with people that I knew very well, that I lived with in seminary, who I felt like were excellent parents. I mean, I lived with the family. I watched them, and their children didn't always make very good choices. But yet, there was this other guy... And I knew him way too well. He didn't have a lot of integrity. I mean, there were a lot of things I did not like about this guy. And 
he had four great kids. I mean, they were great. And they're doing great today. And I scratch my head and I go, how did that happen? Did, did he not tell them? I hope he didn't. Um, how does that work? Sometimes God just works in spite of us, doesn't he? And not only that, I know single parents who've done a marvelous job and who raise great kids in spite of a bonehead spouse. And there are several of you who can give the story in here of how you were raised by a single mom. I'm, I'm, there's a guy in here right now who's, I think, one of the best dads in our church who's raising great kids and who's a great guy. And he was raised by a single mom. And I'd put him up against any of you guys. Hey, don't think because it hasn't been the storybook, it hasn't gone just like you think, just like the book said or the TV show. That's why I want us to bask in the sovereignty and the grace of God. Now, let me tell you some things that you can do, just real briefly. You've heard of the seven deadly sins. Uh, and the, the, the patristic fathers, the early church fathers came up with these and they felt like these are the seven things that really can cause the demise of your life and particularly of your children. I just want to run through them real quick and modernize them for a second. Here's, if you really want to mess up your child, here's how you can do it. If you want to destroy your kid's life, here's how you do it. If you want them to be immature and not function well in society. Number one, teach them to have an enormous ego. Tell them it's always about them. It's all about you and whatever anybody else says, whether it's your teacher or coach, tell them they are wrong. Don't listen to them. It's all about you. Have a big ego, son. Talk about yourself a lot. There's a good way to mess your child up right there. Number two, teach them to be discontent. Tell them that even if you do get second place, that's never enough. Tell them about why can't you be like Johnny or like Susie? Point at that house and say, we're going to have a bigger house than the Jones one day. And talk about your envy. And tell them you can always get more. Never be satisfied. Never be at peace with what we provide or what God has given you. Teach them to explode when things don't go your way. Tell them just to get mad. And when you do that, people will listen and make them angry. And tell them it's a good thing to be angry. How about this one? Feed them everything they want. Tell them vegetables aren't necessary, nothing healthy. Just eat all the junk you want. Here's, a, here's $10. Eat at the vending machine. I want you to be happy. Teach them gluttony. Tell them never to share anything. Keep all your money and all your things to yourself. Don't ever let anybody else have any. Teach them to be greedy. Teach them that uh, they don't have to do anything they don't feel like. I don't feel like doing my homework. I don't feel like helping. Then you don't have to do it. Teach them to be lazy, slothful. And last but not least, teach them that it's okay to condone all sensuality. Tell them, let them hear you tell dirty jokes every once in a while. And when there are things on TV, don't try to tell them or don't try to change the channel. Try to just laugh it off. Encourage them. Especially if they're a boy with their sexuality and kind of push them, kind of wink at them. Make them think that lust is okay and just feed it. Now, none of us in our right mind will do those things. But if we're not careful, sometimes we can send a message that we don't realize how strong it is. Now, I want to show you an example of how that worked in the Old Testament. It's an obscure passage. It's found in the book of Judges and 
I've used it before. It's not one that you'll hear very often. But it's found in Judges chapter 17, verse 1. And here in the book of Judges, we believe that the prophet Samuel wrote this book. This is about a thousand years before the time of Christ. They don't have a king at this point. They have judges. And it's a time of moral deprivation. It's a time where the Bible literally says uh, 17 times, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And here's a story of one. Here's a story of a, what I would call a true dysfunctional family. Matter of fact, they're going to manage to break at least half the Ten Commandments without ever leaving their own home. So here it is, Micah, which means, the name means, who is like Yahweh. So it tells us that there's some recognition of Yahweh God. And this is how it goes. It says, Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from you, uh, about which I heard you utter a curse, I have the silver with me. I took it. So here's Micah named, you know what? Who is like Yahweh? And what does he do? He steals from his mother. So he's not certainly honoring his mother at this point. He steals from her an enormous amount of money, 1,100 shekels of silver. And then, not because he feels bad, not because he wants to repent, but he hears that his mother utters a curse. And in that day... You see the syncretism. You see the meshing of other religions into uh, the worship of Yahweh. This is an example of it. It was believed that when you uttered a curse, that you could not retract it. And so she says it's apparently within his earshot. I mean, for him to hear. I mean, she could have gone a lot of places to, to curse, but maybe she just decided to let him fly right there at the house. He hears it, and then all of a sudden... He starts out of concern and out of fear. He goes, I heard you do that curse. Gee, Mom, I stole your money. Sorry about that. And what does she do at that point? Well, here's a curse. She probably should have, she shouldn't have done it to begin with. Maybe it would have been a good idea to just go talk to him. Could you take my money? You know, and we've all had that talk with our kids at some point. But she doesn't do that. She utters a curse. And so then what does she do? Well, now I'm going to utter a blessing to try to neutralize the curse. Put a blessing on you. Got to curse you. Now I'm going to bless you. And this is called schizophrenic pa- uh, parenting, by the way. Okay? I curse you at one moment. I bless you at the next. And you're supposed to believe both. And then he says to his mother, The Lord bless you, my son. And when he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly concentrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a cast idol, and I will give it back to you. So it looks like she's going to take a good step here. She goes, you know what? I want to take this money and I want to dedicate it to the Lord on your behalf. And if she had just stopped right there, that would have been kind of great. But what did she say? And I want to make an idol. Again, you see the syncretism? You see the pulling in the myths and uh, discombobulating it with your faith? You see how it's all being uh, put together? And so she makes an idol. Clearly... Uh, it goes against the second commandment, against the first commandment for that, the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments. And here's the graven image. Here's the idol that's been presented. Some scholars think there are actually two idols being made here. And so she does that, and the son has it in his home. 
they think they're doing what's right. He thinks this is acceptable because this is what he's been taught. And so he returned the silver to his mother, and she took the 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith, who made them into an image and an idol. And they were put in Micah's home. Not only that, we're going to put it in the house right here where we have easy accessibility, where I can watch the cowboy game and I can do a little worship during the commercial if I want. So what happens? He says, now the man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and some idols and installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days, there was no king and everyone did as they saw fit. So what did he do? These, there's multiple commandments and multiple laws in Scripture he's breaking. And, and then I just decided to come to the point, you know what, I, I don't want to go to Shiloh. You know, that's down the road. That's quite a little hike. I don't want to go over there and worship. We'll just do it right here in my house. You know, you can just worship God here. Matter of fact, Junior, why don't you be our priest? I'm just going to bless you and make you the priest here. You don't really work anyway. You don't seem to be going anywhere in life. So I'll just make you our own personal priest here which, again, was in violation of Levitical law. But he did it. And we, if you read this whole story, you'll see how things just go from bad to worse. Because he hadn't been instructed in the truth. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This looks good and that looks good. And they begin to combine it. And soon there's really no faith at all. Now... I would like to contrast that with another story you're very familiar with that's found in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32. And we are, we've seen this story before. You're very familiar with it, so I'm, I'm going to tell it to you, but you're welcome to read it uh, now or later if you like. But it's the story of the prodigal son. Now, this story right here was not specifically written for parenting. It had another purpose in mind, but there are some principles that I believe we can glean as we look at it descriptive, not as a prescription, but as a descriptive passage. You know the story. A father has two sons, two adult sons, two sons that are working for him. And one of them comes to him and says, Dad, I'd like some of my inheritance. I'd like to, to go. I, I'm ready to go do things on my own. I'm ready to go to another land. I've heard there's some great places, some great investments out there. I can really make some money. I can do well. And The story doesn't tell us this, but the father said, Son, I I encourage you probably not to do that. I encourage you. You've got a good deal here. But nevertheless, the father doesn't try to control him. He realizes he's done all that he could. He's taught him the truths, and he has to release them. And so he does that. And you know the story. The son goes off to the land, the distant land, and he parties. He sins hard. And he blows through all his cash and all that he has. And he finds himself alone and with pigs, feeding pigs. Not a very good place for a Jewish boy. And here he is, desiring what the pigs eat. And he comes to himself and he realizes, you know what? Even my father's servants and hired hands, they eat better than this. They're, they're in much better shape. I'll go and say, Father, hire me as a servant. So that's exactly what he does. And what's interesting is while he's still afar off, his father sees him. You know why his father sees him? Because his father has been praying and anticipating. He's been praying a prayer of anticipation probably for quite a while. And he sees his son and he runs to him. And his son comes and 
I think the father knows that's an act of repentance for his son to come. He sees it in his face. sees it in his heart. And his son comes and the father restores him and reinstates him as a son. He puts the robe upon his back and the ring upon his finger and the shoes upon his feet. And the son begins to confess and to echo his confession of repentance. And the father just loves him. And he takes him. And they have a celebration for him. And while they're doing the celebration, the older brother, who's been sticking it out at the farm, who's been being faithful in his estimation, becomes jealous and angry. And so the father goes out to see about him. But he's so mad and so bitter he won't come in. So what are the truths that we can learn? Well, number one, I do want to qualify this story in the sense that we're talking about older children. So I don't, in, I don't expect you to apply this to toddlers, okay? So you don't just kind of let them go. But there comes a point in every child's life where we've done what we can. We've taught the lessons where we must release them to God. We must release them, and they may make bad choices, and they may have consequences. But at the end of the day, we trust them to God Almighty. Number two, when children come back, and when they come back, as we talked about repentance last week, with a grateful heart, with a different heart, with a different attitude, then we are always to forgive them. We forgive them anyway, but we forgive and we completely Embrace, And you see the Father. You see the humility that it took for the Son. And you see His confession and you see the forgiveness. You know, it doesn't talk about this, but I think it's also important, as we just talked about earlier, that sometimes it's important for us to ask forgiveness. Because sometimes in those heated situations, we don't do everything right either, do we? And how do children learn how to ask forgiveness? They learn that from us. The other thing that I see that this father did is he gave up on the expectation that his son would meet the image that he desired. That he would be perfect, so to speak. That he would be and he would look like he wanted him to look and he would act like he wanted him to act. And he released that. He released that expectation when he let him go. The other thing I notice about this father is you see him not blaming himself. You know, if I had just made him learn more Bible verses. I knew when he was six we should have sent him to vacation Bible school and just beat him, beat yourself up on what else could I do and heap that guilt and condemnation that quite frankly flows out of us whether we expect it to or not. We don't see that father taking He did what he could. He did the best he could and then he trusted his son to God. You know, something else I noticed he did, he didn't let one child consume his family. He addressed it. He ministered. He reached out to both of his sons as they were struggling. He would go to them individually. But he didn't let one of his sons dominate his family. You know, and one of the great lessons, I think he recognized that he wasn't ultimately in control. Boy, that's where we have to come to. That ultimately, we do everything we can but we cannot control our children in the final analysis. We have to trust the grace of God. And lastly, that we pray for them. I believe this father was praying for his son every day. Francis Chan, who's a pastor in California, actually just uh, he's a speaker now, oh, just one of the, the neatest guys. 
a sweet man. I've, I've heard him several times personally, and just great heart. I always have somebody living with him. Just I could go on and on about the realness of his his faith and the genuineness of his faith. But he said several children, but one of his children really began to struggle. And um, he said, I would talk to him. He said, I didn't even know if my child knew Christ. And here's Francis Chan, who's writing books, who's pastoring a church, who's just one of the most authentic Christians I've, I've ever known. And his daughter just isn't turning out so well. Things aren't going well. And he talks to her, and he it just got to the point where he said, I, there was nothing else I could do. We had, we'd trained her, we'd taught her, and we loved her, and we still loved her. And he said, I cried night after night just praying for her. He said, and finally, I said, God, okay, she's yours. He said, you know, and we didn't see any immediate turnarounds. He said, it was years later she came back and she said, you know, Mom and Dad, I'm sorry. I just was selfish and just wanted to go my own way. There's a great example of what it sometimes will look like when you do everything right and yet your children still stray. Hey, if you're here today and things aren't going like you expected... Can I just say, don't take all the responsibility of the burden. Sure, you made some mistakes. So did the rest of us. At some point, our children are placed in the hands of God, and we trust Him, and we pray for them. So what is it that I can do for my child, whether they're one or whether they're 91? Well, let, me, let me give you something that you can do. There are... Uh, these are biblical virtues, and these are something that this is something I've been praying for Brock ever since he was born, and now I have a lot of them memorized, and I just pray them from memory. But there's a virtue every day that you can pray for your child, biblical virtue that you can pray for your child. I believe this to be possibly the most important thing that we can do for our child. As a matter of fact, the first one's on salvation, praying the salvation of the Lord uh, would come into your child. I believe this is probably the most important thing that we can do to help conform our children to the image of Christ. There are several up here, and then there's some as you walk out where the devotions are. I, I would encourage you to pick one up and just begin to pray them. Even if you've got a baby, begin to pray these virtues. You, if you want to, you can just do one each day. Pray that. If they're sleeping, if they're awake. And, um, you know, some of these I'll start to pray, and my son can just complete them now because he's heard me pray them so many times. I encourage you to begin to pray the virtues of Scripture over your children. I want to do two, and I want to close in this manner. And then, uh, if you need, if you're here this morning, and you say, you know what, I, I need prayer, I need encouragement. One, I want to I want you to remind remind you of the class that we're going to be offering. And then there's some other materials outside. And then, if you want to go in the welcome room, if you want to know how can I be in a relationship with God, or I just need someone to pray for me, we want to help you with that. But I want to close this morning just praying these two virtues. And so if you would, let's just take a moment. If you have children, you can pray these with me. If, uh, if you don't have children, but there are children that are under your, in your life that you can influence, whether that be as a Sunday school teacher or a neighbor, a nephew, a niece, or cousin, uh, regardless, uh, I ask you to just pray this with me this morning. Lord... Let salvation spring up within my children that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Let them grow in grace. I pray that my child will grow in grace in the knowledge and the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, I pray these virtues upon 
my children upon Brock and Chloe, upon the children of Rock Point. And God, we know that Your Word does not return void and that the power and the truth that resonates with Your Spirit is the most powerful resource that we have at our disposal. So today, Lord, I ask that as parents, as friends, as neighbors, as uncles and aunts, as grandparents, God, that we pray virtue, that we teach virtue, and that we trust Your Spirit with our children so that they may be conformed to the image of Christ and that they might bring You glory. And Lord, I thank You for the tremendous opportunity that You have given us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.